The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. You know I always say it, and you know it's always true. What are we talking about today? Well, the buzz on the street is a quote from Studs Terkel. If you don't know who he is, Lewis Studs was his nickname, Terkel, May 1912 to October, actually October 31, which was yesterday, 2008. An American author, historian, actor, and broadcaster, he won the Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction in 1985 for The Good War, and he was best remembered for his oral histories. Think about that, oral histories. Think story, storytelling. That's where I'm going with this. Of common Americans, and he hosted a long-running radio show in Chicago, probably was one of my colleagues. So what are we talking about? Everyone loves, everyone craves, everyone has a story. I'm talking to you, our listeners all over the world. And last year, I have to tell you, you were in over 3,000 places around the globe listening to Game Changers Radio. So I say hello and a salute to all of you. But let's, let's put this in a business context. Many companies try to influence their prospects and their customers with boring or cram overpack PowerPoint slides. OMG, again, the rule of thumb is seven bullets, seven words. It's not happening. There's no action. There's no conflict emotion. Sounds like a movie. Did you forget that your people are human, the people you're trying to talk to? And people love movies because movies tell stories. Here's a solution for you. Think about framing your information, yes, your sales information, like an action movie, a hero, a villain. And think about your buyer sitting in a theater and think about you giving them some great popcorn. Wouldn't they love that? You think they would? I think they would. We're talking about powerful storytelling. It can propel your sales effort to a new level of trust. Isn't that what it's all about? They have to trust you, and they have to buy from you, and then they become your loyal customers. That's it. Show over. Tied it up in a red bow. No, we have a great panel who are going to talk about this. Our topic today is Tell Me a Great Story, the role of storytelling in sales. So let me tell you who's on the panel. And then we'll get started. First up, we'll welcome Michael Margolis from Get Storied. And I'll give them each a chance to tell you about their companies. Joining him on the panel is Heidi Berenson from Berenson Communications. And rounding out the panel is Janice Fratomico at SAP. And Janice is responsible for bringing us this topic and putting together this great panel. So, Janice, thank you. So let's get started. Michael Margolis at Get Storied sent me a quote from Plato. Anybody, come on, you remember, well, you remember hearing about him, a philosopher in class. Classical Greece and the founder of the Academy in Athens. His entire work, his oeuvre, is believed to have survived for over 2,400 stories. I bet there were a lot of 2,400 years. I got stories on the brain, and I bet there were a lot of stories in there. Here's the quote Michael has selected from Plato. Those who tell the stories rule 
the world. Michael Margolis, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for coming on the show. Love the quote. Are you a big fan or follower of Plato's works? Or how did you find this quote today, Michael? Oh, you know, I think it's probably more just being a story philosopher. And um, I like to think of, of narrative in a really big, big and deep way. The stories we tell make the world. And, you know, many of the greatest leaders of human history have always understood that. And if you think of all of our great cultural icons, you know, whether it's Albert Einstein, whether it's someone like Elon Musk, whether it's a great poet like Maya Angelou, like you name it, Madonna, like each of them were able to tell stories that moved the world. And uh, I think increasingly we're all starting to wake up to see how much power that stories really have, uh, you know, in the same ways that uh, this idea that those who tell the stories rule the world, you know, it plays out with someone like our current new president and then it also is leading um, to what is the, one of the greatest cultural and creative renaissances that we've ever seen in human history with billion-dollar companies built in three years, people self-publishing books, uh, folks being able to reinvent their careers in ways that they never could have imagined before. And I look at that whole process through the lens of narrative, uh, which is what we're hardwired for as human beings, where every experience and relationship we store in the mind with a story attached to it. Uh, so I'm really excited to be able to, to connect with all of you today and, and uh, explore this topic some more. Thank you, Michael. Very, very articulate, of course. I have a question for you before I introduce Heidi Berenson. You call yourself a story philosopher. I've never heard that term. Yeah. Can you just give us a little background on that? Sure. Uh, you know, for the last 15 years, I have been teaching narrative strategy uh, to tens of thousands of change agents and innovators around the world uh, and, and working with everybody from Google to Facebook uh, to venture-backed startups uh, to CEOs of major enterprises across about 52 different industries. And, you know, while our work is very strategic as it relates mm -hmm. to innovation and change, at the end of the day, this is about the human experience. Uh, I'm trained as a cultural anthropologist and when we talk about the stories we tell making the world, like our stories always have unintended consequences. We're basically playing God, right? We're mm. stealing fire from the gods in order to illuminate some new possibility, some aspect of the imaginal realm of the dream uh, capabilities that we have to envision something and turn it into reality. And um, that's a lot of power, a lot of responsibility. Lot of and uh, so just learning how to use that mindfully and then applying it to all of the exciting opportunities we have as, as leaders today um, across all the different you know, businesses and industries that we work in. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to meet you. And we'll talk about your company in yeah. a little bit. I think you gave us a little intro, but, but uh, when we go into the roundtable, oh, I'll have each of you. That, no, that's fine. That's fine. Very, very happy to have you. Heidi Berenson, waiting patiently at Berenson Communications, has sent me a quote from Henry Kissinger. Come on, everybody. Even if you're very young, you've heard of him. Henry Alfred 
Kissinger, born 1923. He's been around a while. He's an American diplomat and political scientist, served as National Security Advisor and later concurrently as United States Secretary of State in the administrations of two presidents, Nixon and Gerald Ford. We're going to leave it at there. Look it up if you want to know more. And here is the quote Heidi has selected from Mr. Kissinger. Does anyone have questions for my answers? Very famous quote. Heidi, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you today? I'm doing great as well. And Bonnie, what's so wonderful is Dr. Kissinger is still as relevant today as he was back then. And what I love is in, I'm in Washington, D.C., and we all know to try to get attention, you have to really, really grab a jaded audience. And so this quote actually comes from when he was Secretary of State, as you indicated, he would prepare and practice so much before each press conference that when he'd get up behind the podium, look out at the room full of reporters, he would say, does anyone have questions for my answers? <laughs> and so to me, that was quite an open that riveted the audience's attention. And it also pointed up to me three techniques that really help all of us in terms of powering up our performance or any presentation, any pitch. So the first thing is the value of preparation and practice, how you should practice out loud. And, and these days you can use an iPhone or an iPad to record yourself, which is great. And, and to, in terms of preparation, I agree with know before you go. What does your audience want to know? Who are they? Etc. So then you can really target it to them. The other concept is touch and go. Just like he said, when people ask you a question, you rather than going down the road they want you to go, you can touch on it, acknowledge what they ask you, and then go right to one of your messages. And then the third piece is what I like to call a cold open, which research and studies have now shown that it takes only about nine seconds to grab an audience's mm-hmm. attention. Nine seconds. So if you do a warm-up, how are you? Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Good morning. You're signaling to them that it's going to be boring. So in order to grab their attention, you want to do a cold open. You want to start right out like he did. Does anyone have questions for my answers? And then you'll grab their attention that way. <laughs> so, Thank you, Heidi. Yeah, go ahead. Go tell yeah, us a little no, no, more. No, I was just going to say, so, you know, all in all, these days, to cut through, we're all seeing that in the Twitter era and the attention spans and everything, you just got to cut through it. And his cold open, I thought, was genius. Absolutely was genius, and you're right. He's still relevant. I see him occasionally on the Sunday morning news shows, Heidi, and it's always a little bit of a thrill, like Henry Kissinger, he's still there. He's still exactly, charming. Exactly. He's still insightful. Yeah, and, and so his story, let's, let's face it, his story lives on, and he must have been telling some really good stories back in the day to work for two U.S. president administrations. And, oh, exactly, and, and then all, with the humor. You know, humor just buys you so much. It goes such a long way, so, yeah, absolutely. I like that. Absolutely. And we try to be funny on Coffee Break once in a while, so I invite all of you. Actually, <laughs> we'll fu- funny story, yes. before, I, before I invite Janice to, to speak, I had a guest last week on one of our, I think it was on this show, because I have 14 series I'm currently producing for SAP, Coffee Break, and a guest said something really funny, Heidi, really funny. I burst out laughing. I think the engineer, Michael, was riding the line on my mic, like, wow, she's going off the board. Everybody was laughing, and the guy kept talking. So I said, Bob, the one, one of the rules in comedy, and I was a stand-up, you ago is don't step on the laughs. I said, just, just wait. Let us enjoy the moment. Let us hear what you have to say. Let it resonate. And when we 
quiet it down. Then you and he he was a little embarrassed, flustered, and he obviously didn't know that. He said, "Well, I'll just keep talking. I made it funny, and everybody's laughing." Aww. So I said, "Just just give us a second. And that was part of of his storytelling was saying something. Anyway, it was it was a very charming moment, and hopefully, I taught him something he will enjoy and appreciate it. Feedback to me, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. And now I will calm down the laughter. I don't want anybody to step on my laugh. Janice Fratomiko, Janice, I'm so pleased you put together this panel. Thrilled to meet Heidi and Michael on the panel. Janice was on one of our shows. I think uh, I think it was David Fowler's uh, "The B- Future Business of Future Future of Business" with uh, start with Game Changers last year. And Janice stayed in touch with me, and she was on one of our year-end prediction shows. And I said, Janice, bring me a topic. And bingo, here she is with a storytelling topic. Janice has selected a quote from Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron, 1941 to 2012, was an American journalist, an essayist, a playwright, a screenwriter, a novelist, a producer, director, and blogger. I'm going to drop some names here, kids, and if you don't know who she is, you'll know what her movies are. She's known for her romantic comedies, nominated three times for an Academy Award for Best Writing for Silkwood, okay, Meryl Streep, remember, when Harry met Sally, do I need to say more, and Sleepless in Seattle, she won a BAFTA Award for Best Original Screenplay for When Harry Met Sally. Her sister, by the way, is Delia Efron, and Nora's last film was Julie and Julia. Julia Child, anybody remember that? On and on and on, and she actually won a posthumous Tony Award for her best play, Lucky Guy, in 2013. Here's the quote, and this is so beautiful, Janice, in light of what we've been talking about so far with Michael and Heidi. When you slip on a banana peel, people laugh at you. But when you tell people you slipped on a banana peel, it's your laugh. Janice Fratomiko, welcome back. How have you been? I've been awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for putting this together. So talk to me. You're a big fan of Nora Ephron, and how did you pick this quote for our topic? I'm a huge fan of Nora Ephron, and I think it lends itself nicely to what you and Heidi were just talking about in terms of humor. And it's something that I've always used as a mechanism when I'm speaking to people. And and I think Nora Ephron was just one of the greatest storytellers. Another famous quote of hers is, everything is copy. And she saw an opportunity to write and tell a story in everything that happened in her life. And she made it, she put it together in such an entertaining and relatable way from, from romance and falling in love to getting divorced and heartburn, which was another book and uh, movie that she was involved in. And, and it was about her own divorce and, to, you know, aging when she wrote, I hate my neck or something like that. Um, it's just, <laughs> Who can't it's, relate it's, to that? Okay. Exactly. Like, I have to be honest, I can relate. But she just found this, this humor in a, such a relatable way to all these different things that we experienced in life and was able to tell stories in a way that were so true to their reality, but yet so relatable to everybody. So, um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Nora Ephron fan. And obviously a fan of a sense of humor as well. We are off to a great start. Now it's time for our storytelling segment. Michael, Heidi, and Janice, this is the part of the show where I ask you, what's in your cup today? Now there's two parts to this. Number one, where are you calling from? Yes, I ended a sentence with a preposition. Forgive me. And the second part is either what's in your cup right now that you really, really, really love or what's the drink you really, really love? It could be something from New Year's Eve. And yes, it's February 1st, but it's not that far away from New Year's Eve twenty seven. So let's start with Michael. Where are you and what are you drinking that makes you smile? I'm in uh, Sebastopol, California, 90 minutes north of San Francisco. And I am drinking, uh, I think it's called Golden Temple Turmeric Chai. 
it's uh, it's one of those hippie love things, but I really like it, and it uh, makes me feel good in the morning. That's very interesting. There is a recipe going around about a drink you make with warm milk and turmeric and a couple of other spices, and it's supposed to be the antidote for insomnia, Michael, and it's being passed all around in different different names all over the Internet, and I've downloaded the recipe. I have a friend who's an insomniac, and we tried making it. It didn't do much, but he loves turmeric, so he was happy anyway. It didn't but really it's matter. It's be a great anti-inflammatory, Bonnie. It's, yes. It's, it, it's got yes. great properties to it, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Enjoy your drink. And Heidi Berenson, we just heard from Heidi. Where are you? You're in D.C., you said, and, and uh, I won't ask you what's happening there. We're not a politics show, but what, <laughs> yeah, are, you, what are you drinking? Or I know, please. What are you drinking, or what do you love to drink? Well, uh, actually, I'm just just now sipping on this amazing matcha green tea. I'm a huge, huge fan of organic tea, particularly green tea in the morning, and there are so many varieties of it, but matcha is my choice. That's sort of my go-to, again, for the antioxidant properties. And I was really turned on to this. You mentioned about being in the nation's capital. My office was located halfway between, I mean, literally across the street from the White House, so halfway between the White House and a tea house. And it just, having that access to tea that quickly, I mean, everything from not only organic tea, but they had green tea soup, which was out of this world. It was this fabulous recipe. Anyway, what I found over the years, particularly working with folks who are big, big coffee drinkers in this town and around the country and around the world, actually, is green tea is actually a great substitute for coffee because if you're going to give a presentation or speak or give a pitch at all, when you drink coffee, it has only deleterious effects. It makes you thirsty. It increases your blood pressure, your heart rate. It makes you anxious. Green tea has caffeine, but it's a lower version of caffeine. It also energizes you. It helps with focus and memory, but it's also calming. So it has all these really great features. So I always advocate, and I've just, I had a client the other day, and, and he was like, oh, my God, that's great. I didn't even know about that. So the other thing is, before you go on, try the green tea, but also if you don't have access to that, just go with room temperature water. So those are really my big go-tos. Ah, very, very interesting. And I uh, Googled matcha, and anybody might like to know that matcha, M-A-T-C-H-A, like the word match with an A, literally means powdered tea and health benefits. It does contain caffeine. It traditionally involves meditation. Ah, the powder can be sweetened, um, all kinds of things. It can be incorporated into your meals, all kinds of health benefits. Thank you, Heidi. Good to know. Room temperature water before you speak. Yeah, because ice water constricts your throat, and if you're trying to speak, that's going to raise your voice. So you want to really go with room temperature water, a little lemon if possible, but that's actually the best. No soda because it can repeat on you. I mean, it's just all kinds of things you have to be aware of, particularly coming from my television background. (laughs) You've seen it all. Yes, interesting. I have a question for you. When we give advice like you're giving, we sometimes call it a primer or a primer, like a 101. Do you call it a primer or a primer? Just curious. Probably a primer. Primer, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you I'm very into much. Prime. I'm into prime, yeah. <laughs> prime, prime time. That's well, Heidi Berenson. My father had a company called The Prime Shop, so I'm very partial to that word, yes. There you go. Shout out to Dad. And Janice Fratamico, where are you calling from and what's interesting in your cup today? Uh I am calling from SAP North America headquarters in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. And I think that it's interesting that all storytellers are tea drinkers. I'm one of those weird people who have never had a cup of coffee in my life. Um, really? I'm also a big fan of Starbucks and an even bigger fan of Starbucks this week, and I am drinking a chai tea from Starbucks. 
Very, very nice. Right, we got well, the I'll... trifecta of tea drinkers, definitely. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as not charged yet, but I have an espresso, and it's red. We'll and it change you, Bonnie. My, we'll change it. It matches my, my, red, my red quartz countertops in my kitchen in my home office. But I have to tell you, when I'm on the radio, how do you get a kick out of this? They don't let me have caffeinated beverages. Janice knows this. So all I have when I'm on the radio is a cup of room temperature Heidi, room temperature, water, and today I have a yellow straw, hoping and praying for a little more sunshine. We had snow here in New York yesterday, lots of it, not too much left. So I have cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a yellow straw because I want a little more sunshine. So guess what? We're going to take a break, the pause that refreshes. I am speaking today with Michael Margolis and Heidi Berenson and Janice Fratamico. Our topic, I think we're so well into the topic already because we are all telling stories. When we come back from the break, we're going to start off the roundtable with Michael Margolis, looking at the notes he sent me before the show, and we're going to start focusing the storytelling you've already heard into how storytelling works in sales, going back to what I said in my opening. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome to the month of February, February 1, 2017, and I have to do a shout-out to my beautiful mom, Ruth, who turns 100 years old today. So happy birthday, Mom. We spent the whole week and the weekend last night. I did two TV shows on my cable show honoring her with birthday parties, and she's all birthday party now, so she's sleeping today. That's the way it goes. So, Mom, <laughs> Mom you'll tell us a story later about how, how it is to be 100. It's just such an amazing number. I don't know anybody can get their arms around it. Anyway, tell me a great story, the role of storytelling in sales. We will be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Tell me a great story, the role of storytelling in sales. We're going to drill down now. Speaking today with Michael Margolis at Get Storied, Heidi Berenson at Berenson Communications, and Janice Fratimico at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and plan to be for the rest of the show at least. Michael Margolis has sent me some very interesting notes here to start off the roundtable. But first, Michael, let's do our 60-second elevator pitch. What does your company, your CEO of Get Storied, what do you do? Yeah, so I get storied, you know, we're pioneers in a practice that's called narrative strategy. And what that is, is, is really focusing on the big picture story uh, that becomes a strategic tool for influencing change and transformation. Uh, we work with a lot of Silicon Valley giants 
We work with uh, financial services. We work with healthcare, uh, as well as venture-backed startups. And the thing we're most fascinated with is this process of transformation. When you're moving from an old story to a new story, how do you get people to live in the new story? And this is one of the biggest challenges that leaders face today. Uh, and um, as I mentioned, I've been doing this for about 15 years and, and continuing to see how the world of social media, uh, how the fact that most industries are in the midst of major disruption uh, is continuing to up the ante for uh, the need to tell a story. Uh, and that if you're not telling the story, you're letting other people tell it for you. Uh, and, and the kind of repercussions that that brings towards uh, organizations today when they're lo- you know, losing control of the story. Thank you, Michael. Good to know that. By the way, I have to tell everybody, you're left-handed, you're colorblind, and you eat more chocolate than the average human, but you haven't met me yet, so we'll have to have a chocolate <laughs> contest. Yes, we had a double chocolate uh, heaven moose cake on the TV show last night for Mom's birthday, and all the crew was standing around saying, cut the chocolate cake, we got to have some. It was fabulous. So let's start with one of your statements in your roundtable list you sent me, Michael. You say, disbelief is the biggest challenge we face in business. For the last 20 years, we know we're living in an age of information overload and attention deficit isn't that interesting one and the other and now we live in the post-truth reality with alternative facts I know you wrote this just about three days ago because that's extremely current so Michael let's take two minutes and tell us what is this disbelief is the biggest challenge we face in business why well if you'll if you'll allow me what I want to do is actually give us all some big picture historical context Sure. Since we're talking about storytelling and, and, and how that plays out in sales, we've we got to remember that for thousands and thousands of years, we used to gather around the fire and we were told stories, usually by our elders, times the, the shaman or the priest, but we were told stories about this is how the world works. This is how we hunt the buffalo. Don't eat the purple berries. Here's what's taboo and off limits. We were basically given uh, a handbook on proper living. And this happened for thousands and thousands of years. This is how we kind of figured out our place in the society, in our culture. And those stories were also designed to protect us because life was a brutal thing. There were a lot of things out there that could kill us. It was very scary. So we had to pay attention to these stories. Now, all of that is dramatically changing, right? The, the typical institutions that we got our stories from, uh, mm-hmm. from our family, religion, education, the media, uh, every single fundamental institution of life is losing more and more of its authority. We don't just listen. We don't just accept someone's authority wholesale, uh, and so this presents a big challenge to people who are leaders because we're all in this state of cynicism, of disbelief, prove it to me, show it to me. Uh, you know, what you're telling me doesn't really jive with my worldview or what I understand to be true. Uh, and we're seeing this continue to scale up, uh, which is, you know, very much reflected in our current political environment. And it's also what is allowing even young 20-something-year-olds to say, you know what, I want to go out there and disrupt the taxi industry. You know what, what the heck, let's, let's throw a grenade into healthcare. Like every single industry of the world that's being disrupted by 
entrepreneurs who are saying, you know what, I think there's a different story that we can tell. Uh, and so we need to really be aware of, of what that context is like and the fact that there is a fundamental change in uh, the way that we relate to stories. It's still the building blocks of, of our world and of reality, uh, but we're in a far more uh, challenging environment where worldviews and value systems are colliding. Uh, and, and so we have to humanize our situation, right? We've got to bring forward empathy and curiosity. We have to get people to self-identify in the story in order to crack through what is often an increasingly hard shell that many of us are putting on in defense of so much crap coming at us. Thank you very much. We will keep this anti, not political, but I really appreciate that. And you did introduce those elements in post-truth reality and alternative facts. I want to get Heidi Berenson's take on this. Heidi, let's talk about Michael's topic, disbelief is the biggest challenge we face in business. Heidi, what's your two-minute overview? Sure. I mean, in terms of <clears throat> what, what Michael said is he's really on, you know, just hit it on the, 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 the nail on the head in the sense that people are so sick of hearing just blah, blah. So what I want to do is, is just sort of address that head on, which is to sum up what he said, I think it's that passion persuades and energy sells. So mm. meaning if you don't speak from passion, then it's not going to work. There are a lot of CEOs that I've seen that say, I'm really excited about that project. And I'm like, well, you got to inform your face. And you've got to inform the rest of you when you're delivering that. You can't say you're excited without being excited. So all of the home shopping channels know that. Everyone knows that. Passion persuades an energy cell, so you have to speak from passion. And to Michael's point, so you absolutely, then it's going to be more believable. The other thing is, uh, George Will once wrote, the secret to being a bore is to tell everything. And if you go on and on about a topic, then again, it's not believable because it's like thou doth protest too much. So if you can say it, particularly in the social media era, and sort of like a headline or a bottom line and just get right at it with some tools that you can use, like a story, like, like something that is in the news or the headline, something that's in sports. For example, we got the Super Bowl coming up this week. You could stand up and say, hey, just like with the Super Bowl, we got two teams going here and this is what we're going to do. So I would absolutely suggest to people that they not only think about coming from a place of passion, but... Practice it out loud like Henry Kissinger so that they can deliver it and then it will be believable. And that will sort of head-on address the whole issue of disbelief. Very interesting. Passion persuades energy cells. Yeah, that's what they say in home shopping. Yep. Tell, I can believe it. I saw, I saw the story of, uh, who's the woman with the hangers? Joy. The story of oh, Joy. Oh, yeah, Joy. Yes. Right, right, exactly. Absolutely. That's what she did. Wow. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Heidi. And Janice, talk to us. Disbelief. What do you think about that in storytelling? How do we get past it in sales storytelling? Well, so I love that. So I am a student of Heidi and Michael. So important to understand. And I love what Heidi just said, because I just had to present to a couple hundred people last week. And when I got off the stage, they swore me, you were so good. And they and they kept citing the passion that I had for what I was talking about, because I believed that I wasn't selling anything. I truly believe that if everybody adopted what I was talking about, it would be the best thing for them. And I think so often in business, if you think about when you pick up the phone, uh, you know, hello, this is Bonnie. Hi, this is XYZ Vendor. What does your brain automatically do? <laughs> oh, they're going to try to sell me something. I'm tuning out. But yep. when somebody is talking to you about something that they truly believe in, they're no longer selling. They're telling you a story and they're engaging you in something that 
they're not selling because they're literally sharing something that's going to improve your life or your business or your world in some way. And that's when you change from selling to really becoming an advisor through the stories you tell and the passion you have for it. So, you know, what Heidi was just talking about in terms of tuning into something that's happening in the world or finding a a subject in common with your audience and glomming onto that right away versus, hi, this is Janice Fratamigo from SAP and I'd like to talk to you about... Yeah. You know, it changes the, the, the receiver's response immediately because they're instead of tuning out because they know, oh, it's Janice from SAP. She just wasted my nine seconds basically telling me she's going to mm-hmm. sell me something. It's engaging them in something that you truly believe is going to be the best thing for them. And therefore, they're open to hearing what you have to say. So I think that's the big difference. It's moving from not selling anymore to truly believing in what you're talking about, then therefore you're no longer selling. Thank you so very Janet, much. You yes. can call and say, this is Heidi, I'm a Patriots fan, but don't hold that against me. Exactly. <laughs> tell, that's right. Tell, tell your story is your opener. Right, right, right. Tell your story. Michael, I'm going to let you wrap this one up in a red bow or whatever color bow you want, and then I'm going to pick a topic from Heidi's list. So, Michael, anything you want to say about what your co-panelists just shared? Yeah, I really, I really love what, what Heidi and Janice have mentioned, and, and I would just uh, I would reflect on it and say that um, uh, if you don't believe in the story, how can you expect anybody else to? Well put. Very well put. And we, we will try to touch on the topic I see in your notes here, the ethics of storytelling. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But I want to cover some interesting information from Heidi. Heidi, I'm looking at something very basic here in your notes. You're talking about delivering your message, your story, your presentation, how you say it is more important than what you say. So let's talk about what research shows an audience reacts to a speaker. And, and Heidi, let's presume that an audience could be an audience of one. As Janice said, somebody on the phone or somebody in a social networking engagement one-on-one, and they react on the level of body language, voice, and word choice. So, Heidi, let's talk about that. Plus, how do we translate that, in that into the era today of social selling where they can't see you? They can't see your body language. So, Heidi, why don't you do that translation for us? Sure. So, as I cited earlier when we said that the nine seconds that research shows that you have to grab your audience in a cold open in nine seconds. So rather than warming up, like Janice said, you can't just say, well, this is Heidi and I'm from such and such and such and such. The, the, the whole concept is connection. You've got to connect with your audience. And again, as you said, whether it's an audience of one or thousands. So what research has shown is that there are three areas that really impact your audience and it's body language, voice, and your choice of words. So body language, if it's in person, is more than half your message is you because it's 55%. So that's your gesturing. That is your facial expressions. Are you smiling when you're, when you're speaking? In other words, I was once on a, a plane with a comedian, and, and when he said someone really liked his show, he said, well, could you inform your face because she wasn't smiling. So <laughs> yes. also, like with us over in radio right now, if you smile even over the phone, it's huge. It's huge for people. So the body language is 55%. And by the way, the most common and flattering favorite color, not only in this country, but worldwide, is blue. And the best shade of blue is royal blue. That is like the French blue shirts that men wear and the cobalt blue that's in right now, the most flattering. Mm -hmm. The next is voice. And we're on radio, so this is perfect because particularly when you're dealing with an audience of one, 
since we're on radio, I like to use the acronym WIIFM because your audience wants to be tuned into what's in it for me. And if you get excited, if your voice is excited and you have vocal variety and you punch certain words or you pause or you slow down, whatever, that's going to show the passion in your voice and in your message. And then your word choice, to me, comes down to three simple areas. You should have no blah-blah words, no filler words. You should try to come up with words that are either visual, that conjure up a visual image, that are active, or that have some emotional resonance. So if you said... You know what? We have a whole lot of information here. If you say we have a, there was a tsunami of information that came at mm-hmm. us, that's where you want to go with that. So the whole key is you're delivering body language, voice, and word choice as a whole package. And again, that's where it comes down to what you say often can trump, I mean, what your, what your message is. So how you say it often trumps what you say. Thank you very much. Great words of wisdom. A primer, Hattie, if you will. Janice, love to get you to chime in on this. Agree, disagree, or add to what Heidi has shared with us. Janice Fratimico. Oh, completely agree. I say a whole bunch of crap, and I just say it really excited, and, and you know, everybody just buys into it right away. <laughs> Janice, Don't step do on the left. Don't step on the left. You do. Oh, I've become really good at that. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, and actually, in all honesty, people have said, like, I have no idea what you were saying, but you were so excited about it. Like, I'm in. Sign me up. So if it works, it works. But um, like I said, I'm a student of, I am a student of Heidi's, and I've taught what Heidi teaches to other people. So she sort of taught, you know, teaches the teacher. But, you know, what Heidi says resonates with me so much as an audience member. When you just think about, you know, how you react to somebody when they first walk out based on what they're wearing, based on their makeup, their jewelry, their, you know, their hairstyle, everything about them, based on the way they deliver it, and then how I've already formed an opinion so far down the line before they've even opened their mouth. So I'm a believer, I'm a uh, evangelist for what she says, and I'm sitting here alone in a conference room wearing blue. Right now, and I don't know if that was like <laughs> <laughs> she's like born into my well, that's great. Point, well, that's obviously, yeah. Go ahead, Heidi. You know, what go ahead. I, mean? I want to get Michael in, but go ahead, Heidi. Because mm-hmm. earlier, I just from what from what you just said, it it perfectly tees up a Maya Angelou quote, which is, "I've learned that people will forget what you said, people mm-hmm. will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel." Exactly. And that's, One of that's the, the key is connecting quotes, with them and, and right? making them feel good. Completely. And Michael, we got to get you in on this. What do you think about body language and words and voice and energy and passion and, and picture words? Talk to us. Yeah, you know, I think I think all of it obviously is is a relevant. Uh, you know, what I would offer is is the following sort of three legs of the stool. Uh, the way that I think about it is uh, number one, it's content. Number two, it's charisma. And number three, it's craft. And so, you know, with that in mind, content obviously being the message, and is that content uh, provocative, stimulating, relevant, grabs people's attention? Charisma is about confidence. Charisma is about owning the story. Uh, is there a sense of, do you really believe that story, the passion that, that Janice was speaking to? And then the craft is in the performance, the delivery uh, and when you think about these three of content, charisma, and craft, the one caution that I have for folks is 
be careful of trying to lead with the craft before you get the content and the charisma down. Because I, I see a big bias and, you know, people go to a lot of public speaking workshops where, you know, you're mm-hmm. kind of taught the, the, you know, the Anthony Robbins way of public speaking, which is just like, just blast everybody with all your passion and energy, but it, it doesn't really come off as real. It doesn't really come off as anchored. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big believer of have a story worth telling and it will tell itself. It can be rough around the edges, the craft, the performance of it is critical, but it can take a while to really get that down. Uh, you know, if you want to become a world-class performer, you're going to suck for a really good while. And in business, mm-hmm. we can't afford to suck to come off uh, like a really bad actor. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a girlfriend uh, for some years in New York City who worked uh, as an actress. So I went to the theater a lot, which meant I went to a lot of bad theater. <laughs> There's nothing worse than bad theater. So it's the one thing is people get excited about storytelling. Oh, great. I'm going to take all these practices and apply this to my pitch. Don't turn this into bad theater. It's going to counteract the very thing that you're trying to do, which is to authentically connect with your audience, with the person you're meeting with as a trusted advisor, as someone that they really feel they have a great rapport with that you're being real with. Um, So just something to keep in mind. Uh, I think content and charisma are the way to go. Uh, And, if you ever see Elon Musk give his pitch presentations, it's interesting. He's nervous. He's awkward. Uh, he, in many ways, does all the things we're not supposed to do, but his content captures the imagination. And underneath that awkwardness is an incredible level of charisma of we're going to do what people say we're not allowed or supposed to do. So just keep in mind, there, there's a lot of ways to do this. Um, so you can find the way that's really truest to you, no matter your personality. Thank you, Michael. I, I, before we wrap this one up and go to one of Janice's topics, um, we, you were talking about how people dress, the appearance, I think, Heidi. A uh, quick one for you. Uh, several years ago, earlier in my career in SAP, I think before I, I created the Game Changer series, uh, I was a part of a presentation. I was hosting a presentation by someone talking about storytelling and sharing a message. And he had slides. Janice, he had slides. I mean, this guy has, but instead of a lot of words, he had one picture, like a poster. I'm talking outrageous stuff, stuff that I didn't even think SAP would allow us to show. Some of it was really contentious, uh, culturally culturally offensive some of it to make a point but one point he made and Heidi this is a question for you he talked about a woman a high up executive woman who was speaking in front of several thousand people in a con- at a conference center and she appeared on stage in a business suit that was so exquisite the men were looking and saying, my God, who tailored the buttonholes on that jacket? And the women were saying, who stitched the silk on the epaulettes on her shoulders? And what color is that? People were, well, the word wasn't cavelling, I want to say, but the word was they were so curious, mesmerized by her outfit, they couldn't even hear what she had to say. She was spectacularly dressed, and nobody even wanted to hear. <laughs> they had yeah. no interest. Which, what's your thought about that, Heidi? Because we, we tell people wear something that's comfortable. I know wear, wear comfortable shoes and wear something that makes you feel special. Well, let How me, special Bonnie, should could, you? Let me jump in yeah. and just clarify. Let me just give you a paradigm. The yeah. paradigm that I like to go with is what is the image you want to project? Mm-hmm. So 
you have to be thinking about, am I here to project an image of being a fashion model or a fashion plate? Am I here to, to, to you know, do I want to be sort of of the people? Do I want to be a leader, you know, like come off like a leader? What, what do I want to, what's the image I want to project? And then I say go backward from there. So if you know right away that, that royal blue is the most common and flattering favorite colors, you, that is an option. I like to say go with jewel tone colors. And also I like to say, if you're, particularly in sales, if you're going to a client, I would go with the client culture, but one above. So is it a suit? Is it, for men, let's say, is it a jacket with uh, an open collar shirt? Is it a shirt with a tie and no jacket? Is it a leather jacket as opposed to a suit jacket? I mean, you have to sort of figure out what's the culture you're dealing with and then what's the image you want to project and go backward from there. I Thank just, you here, very here, here's much. Here's one more rule of thumb, Bonnie. Yep. Sure. Anything that can be distracting will be distracting, period, end of story. Hair, uh, clothes, makeup, anything that can be distra- distracting will be. There you go. Thank you very much. Great, great tie up to that one. And I'm going to move. Let's see. We have about eight minutes till we go to our crystal ball predictions round at the end of the show. So, Janice, I'm looking at some notes here from you. Here's something we haven't talked about. Test the story. Test. That's the word. I don't think we've discussed this yet. Test your story with someone who knows nothing about you or knows nothing about what the story is telling them about. So give us some examples, Janice. What What is this? At what point in the development of your storytelling for sales do you test it out on grandma or the gardener or the guy at Starbucks? So talk to us. <laughs> so I think as often as possible. Uh, there was another quote. I think we're full of quotes today because we're all storytellers, but it's been attributed to Mark Twain and others. But it's if I had time, I'd write a shorter letter, something like that. And I think so often what we do is put together something that's very complicated and verbose because it's easier, because it's tapping into information that we have at our fingertips and kind of throwing it together because we need to get something in front of a potential customer or uh, or an existing customer. And I think, you know, if we step back and really test it on somebody who's not involved, who isn't drunk on the same Kool-Aid that we are, who isn't buying our, our BS, then it provides a great audience for us to be able to see, are we engaging? I mean, I have, I have watched movies on things I never thought I would be interested in because of the way they told the story. If you think about it, I think a good example is the, um, the series Westworld. And I don't know if anybody saw it, but I am not a sci-fi person at all. Totally tune that stuff out. When all of a sudden something is presented in a way that's engaging – Somebody who's not typically involved or interested in sci-fi whatsoever is watching a series like Westworld. There was a Mm. documentary on Scientology, something I didn't have any interest in, but the way they told the story engaged me. So that's why I really like testing your story on someone who's not involved, who's not informed, who's not engaged to see if they sort of buy in because that's the way you want your audience to react. You know, there's also a philosophy that, you know, Kind of, if Grandma can understand it, you're saying it in the right way. Anything that's that that's that transformational mm-hmm. should be able to be told in a simple way. So, you know, I always like testing it on my husband, on my kids, on my mom, people who are completely disengaged from what I do on a regular basis, just to see if they can sort of start to understand and believe in the, the message I'm trying to communicate. So, I, I think that you know that's sort of the background for for that kind of advice I give people. 
Thank you, Janice. Very interesting. And let's go around the table. Uh, we have about a, oh, two minutes for each of you. So, Michael Margolis at Get Stories, what do you, what's your reaction to this practice round and with whom and, and how often? What do you think about what Janice shared? Yeah, it's, it's a critical piece of the process. You know, we, a lot of work I do is, is with, you know, companies who are inventing the future. And so when you're telling a story that has to overcome disbelief, because you're, you're presenting this whole new possibility of this breakthrough product and solution or the next generation of what you're offering and, and what an enterprise company could do with that, you, you know, you, you come up with what we call the prototype of the story, but you have to go out and test and validate that story because your story is only as strong as how people relate to the story. Do they find themselves in the story? Do they like it? Do they trust it? Do they believe it? Uh, and as a storyteller, in many ways, this is, this is the, the thing that hangs in the balance, which is you tell your story, but at the end of the day, your audience decides what story they tell themselves about what they're hearing. Mm. And, and this is why storytelling or narrative is such an important set of principles and practices for doing business today, because we want that kind of power as an audience. You know what? I'm the one who's going to evaluate whether I believe this or not. And when we tell a really good story, it activates the parts of the brain that get us to feel um, both things like oxytocin, which is the feel-good hormone, or cortisol, which is the stress hormone of fight or flight. Uh, and, and you got to test this stuff out to see, is your story something that's helping people step into something bigger, right? To see the possibility and the opportunities, or is your story something that's just making them scared that's actually going to shut them down? Um, and I'm a big believer that actually we tend to tell too many stories that are engaging fear of fight or flight. And in a time when we're all already in a perpetual fight or flight real cortisol state with this information overload, attention deficit, everything coming at us right now. We got to actually break that for folks and, and get people into a, a receptive state where they're open, curious, leaning in. And, and that doesn't happen by trying to scare people. So um, for what it's worth, absolutely go and test and try to find really the feel good angle that, um, that can be, you know, the, I'm, I'm big into chocolate. You know, give people chocolate. Mm-hmm. The thing that just, who doesn't want chocolate? Me. That's the thing that's <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Heidi, I can give you two minutes to wrap up this topic. We, we started with Janice talking about the test process of sharing your story with someone who doesn't know anything about you or the story. So, and we've added with Michael. So, Heidi, what would you like to add to this one? Well, it's kind of like when you said earlier about comedy, there's sort of this, uh, this dictum in comedy, which is the longer the story, the bigger the payoff. And I think you have to keep your audience in mind because it's, a, it's truly a fact. The more you talk, the less people remember. So I'm just finding in the social media era, you want to vary it up. You want to be authentic to yourself, but you really, to me, the most important concept is you connect with your audience. And by practicing on people, because there's a whole concept of neurolinguistics where people communicate differently and process things differently. And I know that sometimes if I speak to 
uh, audios. People see the audio-visual kinesthetic. So audios are very literal and very numbers-oriented. And visuals, they, if they see it, they remember it. And kinesthetic, they have to be part of it. So it's great to try it out on people who are not the same neurolinguistically as you and to just get different points of view to say, oh, I, I didn't understand why you didn't get that. Let me speak visually this time. So my thing is absolutely be authentic yourself. Absolutely know about your audience. But I completely agree. You've got to say it out loud. If your ears hear your mouth saying the words, you can sharpen it, you can focus it, you can lose the ums and ahs, and you'll be good to go. Very interesting. I, I, um, I'm very pleased to say, Heidi, you'll appreciate this, that in the probably 2,000 people I've welcomed on 29 different Game Changers series I've, I've hosted and produced over the past five years for SAP, we by and large have very good speakers. So I think the message is coming across. I call them empty words or, or wasted words when um right. and er and you know and like. Filler words, I can't yeah. rem- I can't re- filler words. I can't remember the last time somebody came on the show and used filler words. And that to me is a great encouragement that people are <laughs> embracing good speaking and good storytelling is isn't it it's good speaking where you don't waste the words and the time you have very very good points guess what we have five minutes till the end of the show i have to get us off the air before the clock it's 58 and i'm looking at the clock and michael our engineer is saying five minutes bonnie so the bell has rung and i'm going to circle back around the table to michael margolis at get story michael i can give you a full 60 seconds if we have a little extra time we'll do a bonus what would you like to say if you look four minutes? Okay, Michael, the engineer. Four minutes. I've been corrected. Michael Margolis, Get Story. 60 seconds predictions. Look into the crystal ball. What will change? I usually like 2020. You can pick any time in the future. What will change about this conversation in the next year or more about how people get the messages we're sharing today about storytelling in sales? Michael, 60 seconds. Go. Yeah, two things that, that jump to mind. Number one is people will continue to start to recognize that everything is story and that everybody's a storyteller. Uh, Things like virtual reality, augmented reality, and again, our political environment is making everybody wake up to see the power of narrative in the competing narratives in our lives. So that's the first thing. And then number two is really the ethics of narrative. The fact that the stories that we tell have repercussions not just on us, but on all those who receive it, including unintended consequences. And this world of transparency, this world of challenging, if somebody presents a story that, that doesn't, doesn't fully stack up, uh, we are far more discerning and we'll, we're, we're speaking up far more than ever before in, in challenging those stories. And, uh, and I think we're, we're in for a, a quite, a, quite an education as a culture um, and, you know, as, as well as a business um, industry right now about the power of story. Uh, and it's only going to grow in relevance. Thank you very much. We're talking about the era of alternative facts, I think, and post-truth and all that good stuff, just keeping it honest in terms of what we're hearing in the media. Yes, Michael, we are on the merry-go-round. Not sure how many brass rings we're going to catch, but we can always hope. Okay, let's turn to Heidi Berenson. Heidi, I have 60 seconds for you. Predictions, they're all yours. Go. Okay, so just like you said about snow, I like to think about communications in terms of a forecast. And I want to say the more technology changes, the more things will stay the same when it comes to connecting with your audience. So whatever the medium, whether you're communicating over Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, FaceTime, VTCs, even email, you need to know your headline, you need to know your bottom line 
to connect with your audience. And again, like you said earlier, an audience of one or thousands. Mm-hmm. And in terms of what I like to say, it's make it fresh, make it fast, make it fit, and make it fun. So whatever your story is, whatever your message is, make it fresh, do it in a new way that people haven't heard, do it quickly to be courteous to their their attention span, make it fit them and the situation, and make it fun because people tend to remember things best when it's fun. So I'm going to absolutely go with the bottom line of tuning into WIIFM for your audience. That'll never, ever change. Thank you very much. (laughs) I like that. By the way, plus ça change, plus ça la même chose is one of my favorite French expressions, and you just said it in English, and the audience can figure out what she said and what I mean. Janice Fratomico, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Go. I can do it. I'll tell you, one thing that's going to keep changing is the attention span of your audience. It's going to keep getting shorter, so you're not going to get a second chance. One thing that's not going to change is what Heidi said. You're talking to a human being with feelings, emotions. They want to be entertained. They want to be wowed. They want to have fun. They want you to nail who they are and what they want the first time. Thank you very much. You did it. You stopped short. Perfect. I have time to say thank you so much. Janice, compliments and kudos to you for a wonderful panel, a great topic. And I'm going to right now, here and now, invite the three of you back for a part two because we have so much more to talk about. I'll send you a date. I think it's going to be in April or May because the calendar is packed. So Michael Margolis, Get Stories, such a pleasure to speak with you, Michael. Heidi Berenson, you're a treat. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom. I can hear you smiling and Thanks, your energy Bonnie. and passion. <laughs> with you. you're, you're a pro. We know it. We know it. Janice yeah. Fratomico. Janice, you did great, kid. This was just just wonderful. Thank you so much. You brought it. You delivered it. You wrapped it up. And I am very, very pleased. So everybody look for me to give you an invitation back. Tell me a great story, the role of storytelling in sales. This was part one. We have a lot more coming up. I'll get back to them in a couple of months. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there. You're great, Michael, my Michael. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Where are you going? Go out and be a game changer today, right now. Now, Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.